It's time for News Talk 720 KDWN's Ask the Expert Hour. Have a question? Call now, 702-257-KDWN. That's 702-257-5396. Welcome to Ask the Experts. My name is Brian Black. I'm here with Brian A. Lowe of Brian A. Lowe & Associates. Did you have a good weekend, Brian? I had a wonderful weekend, Brian. Are you are you refreshed and ready to go? I'm refreshed, ready to go. Ready to go. The weather's beautiful, and, uh, you know, I... Um, it's interesting. I was talking to uh, 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 someone at your office uh, about the subject that we're going to be discussing today and uh, something that would not have occurred to me uh, as something that needs to happen. But, uh, you know, once you think about it, it's, uh, you know, there's always uh, if you if you set something up, if you try to get something, if you try to build a better mousetrap, then eventually something's going to go wrong. We're going to talk about trust today. And a lot of people think that um, that when you set up a trust, you you tie it up in a nice little bow, you stick it in the safety deposit box, and you never have to think about it again. But uh, there are situations where you need to periodically review a trust. Is that not right? That is correct. Things change. So, you know, and that's, and that's probably the overriding philosophy. Things change. You know, there's different situations. You may not feel the same way that you felt when you uh, set up the trust, uh, the, uh, the situation regarding uh the the assets involved, the people involved, all of those things can change. Um, how do you know if there is something wrong with a trust that's been set up either for you or by you? Well, <clears throat> as you just said, things change. Mm-hmm. And when people set up trust, sometimes they will set it up as a revocable trust so that they can go back and change it. There's anticipation that something could happen in their lives that needs to be changed, makes it so that we you need to change the trust. Right. And then people will also set up irrevocable trusts, and mm-hmm. they think that once they uh, set up this trust that it will be good in perpetuity and it should never be revoked mm-hmm. or amended. So there are these two kinds of trusts. Most people do revocable trust because once you uh, set up a trust there are situations that change in their lives. For instance, uh, let's say a beneficiary dies and and you want to now put in a new beneficiary. Right. You had uh, the ultimate uh, beneficiary being one charitable uh, organization and you've had a falling out with that organization and now you want to change it and, and put some other charity in there. Right. So th- you leave it open. So that as things change in your life, you can make changes in the trust. So, uh, you know, that's interesting to me. Uh, when, when you set up somebody as a beneficiary of a trust, let's talk about an individual rather than an organization. Sure. So um, when if that person were to die in the meantime, does the does their heir or heirs become the beneficiary of your trust? Sometimes they do. And we generally try to... Uh, take that into account when we originally set up a trust, but Mm -hmm. oftentimes people don't always uh, look at it uh, uh, when they set it up. For instance, they don't have, uh, let's say a child does not have any children and you have three children. And so they set it up so that it, when you die, everything is going to go equally or proportionately and I mean, different percentages to to each one of the children. Right. And the question is, is if that one child dies, 
do you want that deceased child's portion to go to the deceased child's children? Mm -hmm. And since they don't have any children, their thinking is, well, no, I just want it split between equally between my children. Right. And so you write it up that way. Well, time goes by. Each of the uh, children get married. They have uh, children. And now they want to... Uh, uh, to make sure that their children, or the deceased child's children, will receive the deceased child's portion. Right. And sometimes, you know, you uh, a child will not be married, or they'll be married for a short period of time. You never know sure. whether that child's spouse is going to be, really become part of the family, mm -hmm. and so you don't make any provision for the... Uh, a deceased child's spouse. Mm -hmm. and Who would be their primary uh, beneficiary if they were to die, if they're still married? Well, if they're still married, uh, the, um, the spouse may not be a beneficiary. Mm -hmm. Maybe just the child is right. the beneficiary, but the child is deceased. Now do you give it to the uh, deceased child's spouse or do you give it to the deceased child's children? Or do you give it to uh, the deceased child's siblings? Mm -hmm. Or to someone else, right. some stranger? So things change. And, and oftentimes in families, the spouses become very close uh, to their in-laws. And, and so over time, the, the, uh, the parents think, well, you know, I, if, if my child dies, my daughter-in-law or my son-in-law has really become almost like a child to us. Let's give it to them. Right. Originally, they didn't have them in the trust, but now they want to make sure that they put them in. So if you didn't make any special provision for, for that contingency and you did make, you know, one of your children the beneficiary of a trust without any preparation, would it go directly to their legal heirs? No, it would not. Okay. No, it would go to the next beneficiary in line. Okay. And if you don't have any beneficiaries down there, and sometimes this happens, and that's why people will come back and amend their trust again because there aren't any natural heirs, or I won't take that, take that back. There are no beneficiaries named. Right. And if you do not name a beneficiary in your trust, then it will go to your contingent beneficiary, and if you don't have a contingent beneficiary, then it will go to your heirs at law uh, under the laws of the state in which you live. So, you know, it, it could go to a group that you don't want to uh, to give to. Well, you know, and, uh, you know, things become more complicated over time uh, just because of the family tree. You know, if you if you set up a trust when you're younger and you, and you have children, well, you may... Then you get another generation of grandchildren in there, and you may want to give directly to them. You may have a, you may have great grandchildren, and you may want to distribute it among the, you know, the entire family tree instead of just the top level. And uh, you know, when you let twenty years go by between establishing the trust and uh, and you know the time that it actually gets executed, things could change, as we it, say. They oftentimes do, and and grandparents have they don't directly. Um, raise these grandchildren, but they have certain things in their mind as to what they would like those grandchildren to do. Like they would like for them to get a good education. Right. And so to make sure that they get a good education, they may want to make a, a provision in their trust that a certain portion of their assets are going to be set aside for those grandchildren's education or any other uh, 
thing that they want done for those grandchildren. So, um, when um, what are when are some other situations when you would need to amend a trust? Well, you know, over the years, uh, back in the uh, '90s, we had an exemption amount of where a person could have up to six hundred thousand dollars and not have to pay any estate tax. Right. And so a lot of trusts were established uh, back at that time so that if the amount of your estate was in excess of $600,000, then it was going to be the first 600000 would be put into a trust and then the balance would go over to, uh, let's say, the spouse so that you could take advantage of a, of a marital deduction right. so you didn't have to pay any tax on the first death. But over the years, that exempt amount has gone up, and now it's up over uh, $5,400,000 per person. Right. So most people did their planning around 600000 and now it's up to 5400000 and they don't have a tax problem or a potential tax problem. And so in order to, uh, to do what they want to do, really want to do, they will amend it so that they don't have to put it up into various trusts. When we return, we'll be talking more about amending trusts. If you have a question for Brian Lowe of Brian A. Lowe & Associates, please give us a call or a text on the Centennial Toyota Talk and Text Line at 702-257-5396. Now back to Ask the Experts on News Talk 720 KDWN. Welcome back. We're talking to Brian A. Lowe of Brian A. Lowe & Associates. Today we're talking about amending an existing trust. Things change. And if uh, if you set up a trust in the past or one has been set up that you know about, things might be, uh, it might be time to uh, look for a change. If you have a question for Brian A. Lowe, please give us a call or a text on the Centennial Toyota Talk and Text Line at 702-257-5396. So we talked about, you know, the fact that things change. And right before we went to break, uh, you talked about a very important law that has changed um, regarding the, the exemption status of, you know, of, of, uh, you know, six hundred thousand dollars being increased to five million dollars. That's a very important fact. Yes. And if somebody has set up a trust back in the nineties, as you say, that's something that they need to change right away. Correct. Correct. Is there any other change that's happened in the in the laws or the uh, the legislation surrounding trusts and beneficiaries and and just uh, uh, estate planning in general that might affect somebody's trust? Well, one other thing is we now have what is known as portability. Okay. And uh, a minute ago, I said that the exemption, the personal exemption for each individual is a little over $5,400,000. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the early planning when uh, the exemption was down around 600000 what planners would do is they would take the first 600000 of a person's assets and drop that into a, uh, a bypass trust or a... Or, um, a unified tax credit equivalent trust, we would call them. Right. And the balance would go over to the surviving spouse. Mm-hmm. And so we were protecting that, that one exemption because if you gave it all to the surviving spouse, the spouse, the surviving spouse would still only have their exemption of 600000 But now with, with this thing called portability, you can put nothing into... A bypass trust, right? An exempt trust, 
and give it all to your spouse and any unused exemption that the the decedent has can be given over to the surviving spouse so the surviving spouse then would have an exemption of 10,800,000 and so a lot of people that put together um a b types of trusts mm-hmm. a, a survivors trust and exempt trust now they don't have the same need for it. And so that needs to be addressed. You need to look at it because oftentimes people will come into my office after their spouse died and they say, what do I need to do? And they, I said, well, according to the terms of the trust, the way it was written, you have to take half of those assets, the, the maximum amount of the exemption, right. And put it into the exempt trust and the other half, which then that exempt trust is irrevocable. It right. cannot be changed. Mm-hmm. And the balance is going to stay over here in the survivor's trust. So now you have two trusts. One of them, you have to file a tax return on every year. Mm-hmm. Second, there are limitations as to what the surviving spouse can do with that, the assets of that. Mm-hmm. And these surviving spouses are saying, wow, I didn't realize this. And, and that's no longer the case now. You don't have to do that anymore. Well, because of the exempt amount being so high, Mm -hmm. the majority of our population do not need that. Do we still use those kinds of trusts? Yes, but generally, therefore, uh, clients with assets in excess of $10 million. Now, I I don't want to knock AB Trust because there still are are reasons to have this these two separate trusts upon the first death. For instance, the the decedent's trust, the bypass trust or, or the exempt trust, whatever we want to call it, right. is there. And so the deceased grantor has had an opportunity to say, when I die, I want the assets in my trust to be there for the benefit of, of the surviving spouse. But upon this my my spouse's demise i want it to go to the children right well if you amend that and put it all over to the surviving spouse and make the surviving spouse's life easier and and them being happier for the balance of their life there's a potential that that new spouse would remarry or have a falling out with maybe one of your favorite uh, beneficiaries and now it's not going to go according to what the decedent wanted done. Exactly. So, so, yeah, it's a gift. And once they yeah. have it, it's theirs. Yeah. So, you know, there's still room, but it, you should consider the change in the law and, and consider change in circumstances and change in, in net worth of the client mm-hmm. to decide really what you want to do. Do you still want to set it up into two separate trusts or... Do you want it all to go to the survivor? And so the survivor can do what they want to do for the balance of their lifetime. And, you know, one recurring thing that we're always talking about with uh, estate planning and trusts or whatever, it's so entangled with taxes. Um, there's just so much planning that goes into, uh, you know, you know, there's a lot of people that it's the limit of their ability to file their taxes on April 15th every year. And they're not giving enough thought to, to the, the liabilities that may come down on people that they, that they give money to when they die. Um, and you know, it's, we could be talking about tens of thousands of dollars, correct? Yes. But as I say, 
there's less likelihood that you're going to have the problem with the taxes. So if you take taxes out of, out of it, how do you want it planned now? How, mm-hmm. how do you want your assets held after you die if you took taxes out of it? Right. And so oftentimes instead of, of the client being motivated only for tax reasons, they mm-hmm. may think of other reasons. For instance, my child has married <clears throat> a spouse that is a spendthrift. They, they like to spend everything or right. they have a gambling problem and they've almost run my child into, into bankruptcy. So what I want to do is now set it up possibly for the benefit of my child, right. but there are limitations on the ability of their spouse to be able to take it. I mean, I've had people come in that they, they say, well, my child has joined XYZ religious organization. Right. And that religious organization almost requires that they give up all of their, their wealth to the, to the church. Mm -hmm. And therefore I don't want to give it outright to them because if I do, I know it's going to go to their church and I don't believe in their church. And so I don't want to set it up that way. So, you know, we'll, we can amend it. And we can say, well, rather than it going outright to the child, it will be kept in in trust for the benefit of that child during the child's lifetime, or we can give them uh, some right to withdraw certain amounts. There anything, I mean... Whatever you can think of, we can do with a trust. See, that's very interesting to me. So you could you could set it up in a trust that that a certain amount of money could be used to pay their mortgage or their rent. Yes. And how do you enforce that? How does that? How does that? How do you make sure that you know, like you say in that particular example of the person's joined a a religious organization that you think is going to take all their money? How do you how do you make sure that that money goes to rent or or mortgage? How do, how does that happen? Well, you generally pick a trustee, mm-hmm. and the trustee is responsible as a fiduciary to carry out the provisions of the trust. Okay. And I know with the trust that uh, that uh, we draft, we generally put in a, t- a, a trust protector, and this idea of a trust protector really didn't come up here in the United States. It came up outside of the United States, but for the last oh, 20 years or so, uh, trust protectors are becoming more and more popular, and even our legislature has recognized trust protectors now, and there's provisions in our statutes about trust protectors. But here is an individual that has no vested interest in in the trust whatsoever. Right. They are there only to make sure that the provisions of the trust are carried out. They don't manage the assets. They don't make distributions. Mm-hmm. But they are there in the event something happens what, uh, that the trustee is not doing what they're supposed to do, then the trust protector can step in and say, look, you're not accomplishing what the trust says you're supposed to do. Straighten up. Or the trust protector is always given the right to remove the trustee. See, or we're going to remove you. Now. <clears throat> When we return in just a minute, we'll talk more about amending trusts and the ways that uh, you need to watch out to see if your trust is actually accomplishing what you set it out to do. If you have a question for Brian A. Lowe of Brian A. Lowe & Associates, give us a call or a text on the Centennial Toyota Talk and Text Line at 702-257-5396.
Now back to Ask the Experts on News Talk 720, KDWN. Welcome back. We're talking to Brian A. Lowe of Brian A. Lowe & Associates. Your main focus in your, uh, one of your main focuses in your law firm is estate planning. And we're talking about trusts and the need for a periodic review of a trust to see if it needs to be amended and uh, to see if it needs to be changed, to see if it's really what you want um, when you set up a, a trust for the benefit of your heirs. Um, what, what, is this something that you need to periodically review on, say, a yearly basis? Sometimes it uh, is good yearly, uh, not all the time, though. We generally, I mean, we always keep track of the law. Mm -hmm. And if the law changes that could affect a, one of our clients' trusts, then we will generally send them a letter and say, you know, come in, we need to discuss this. And sometimes they come in, sometimes they don't. Uh, I had a client the other day that we sent him a letter 15 years ago, <laughs> and... They didn't come in, right? but they're still alive. They can still amend. <laughs> and finally, they made the amendment they should have made it 15 years ago. But uh, there was nothing that happened in their life that uh, made it became, be, that it became critical upon one of their deaths. And so everything was fine, but you just need to amend while you still have the capacity, mental capacity, right. and you're still alive so that you can actually make the amendment that you need to make. You know, it's amazing to me that uh, your law firm or any law firm can keep track of that. I mean, you have so many clients and you have so many legal documents. And, you know, when a change comes up in the law that you just have access to the information uh, to be able to notify someone, hey, this needs to change. That's, uh, that's uh, it's impressive to me. Well, oftentimes it's, it's easier than what you think because we, we keep track of our clients in groups. Mm -hmm. So if they have uh, an AB trust, where on the first death it's going to be split into two trusts, right. well, we know who those that group is. And so maybe it's time, because of change in tax laws, that it would be good to discuss that. Mm -hmm. Another thing that happens is our clients get older, and as they get older, they can lose capacity right. or they may die and they now need to set it up in just a little different way. Now, I mentioned a few minutes ago, what about the situation where one spouse dies and the surviving spouse is, you know, has capacity, uh, is going to live more years and and you want to make it right by them right but what if you have a spouse that is losing their mental capacity sure and you're and, taking care of them and you're taking care of them and you have a, a sizable estate but you know that if you die that that your spouse is going to need some long-term care mm -hmm. and so you don't want everything that that the two of you have obtained together to be put in a pot that would have to be completely spent down right. during that surviving spouse's lifetime. You may want to protect some of that for the benefit of the children. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we have to do some reverse planning. Sure. Oftentimes people will put assets into a trust so that they avoid probate. 
But any time that you use a trust like that, then the assets in that trust are an available asset for the surviving spouse, and they would have to use all of that up before they could get any, let's say, assistance from any governmental agency. Right. We've talked about that before, where you need to watch out for that. you You need to watch out for it. So now we have to do some reverse planning. And so we may put in to the trust a, an amendment that says, if my spouse is entitled or could be entitled to certain benefits, mm-hmm. rather than leaving my portion of that trust inside of the trust for the benefit of my spouse, pour it out and put it over into my probate estate that will be controlled by my will. Mm-hmm. And then you put in the will, if my spouse is receiving or should be receiving some kind of long-term care benefits, then rather than putting it into the trust, put it over into a special trust, which we call a supplemental needs trust, for the benefit of my spouse. So it is no longer, under the laws in the United States, no longer an asset that is considered that has to be spent down before they can get some kind of governmental assistance. And so we set these, I mean, it's kind of a reverse thing and people scratch their head and they say, well, you, you talked to me 25 years ago about putting everything into the trust to avoid probate. Right. But now all of a sudden the situation is changing and the spouse now has Alzheimer's and it looks like they're going to need 24 hour care seven day a week. And if, if, if you're gone, you're not going to be there to provide that, and they may need some long-term assistance. Absolutely. And what's going to happen is if it's in the wrong place, they have to spend their They have estate. to spend it all down, yes. Yeah, and then they go for the benefits that they would have gotten in the first place. Yeah, and so we can, just by doing a little reverse planning here, we can get all of those assets there used for the benefit of the surviving spouse, but they don't have to use it up before they can get some governmental benefits that can give some assistance. And so we can basically take a substantial portion of their overall estate Mm -hmm. and get that down to the next generation, to the children or the grandchildren or to whomever you want to that to go to. So as far as uh, uh, when, when thinking about a trustee, we've talked about uh, the, the overriding theme of the show so far is things change. Yes. Um, when, when you set up a trust, you have to set up a trustee, someone who is in charge of executing the trust in the way that you want it to be done. Correct. Um, you also talked about a trust protector. Yes. Uh, who is the trust protector? Is it somebody you hire? Is it a member of the family? Who is it? Well, I do not recommend, nor does anybody recommend really a member of the family because mm-hmm. members of the family have vested interests in in the trust itself and and the assets of the trust. So we generally recommend uh, a professional person, uh, an accountant or a lawyer or someone that ha- understands the fiduciary responsibilities and and uh, uh, can analyze what the trustee of the trust is doing and if there is something improper that the trust protector has the the right and power to remove them if they don't change their ways and and um, administer the trust the way that the trust is spelled out. 
So when, you, um, when you're talking about uh, things changing over the years, your opinion of who might make the best trustee could change over the it years. It sure could. And that's another reason for you to amend a trust is uh, somebody that you felt like was a, a stable individual or, or somebody who had the capacity to, to uh, manage your estate after you're gone. They may not be that person anymore. That's correct. Now, I had one case. This, this dates back a few years ago where the trustee was a financial institution mm-hmm. and uh, their headquarters was back in Chicago. Okay. And the surviving spouse was there and the entire trust was there for the benefit of the surviving spouse until the surviving spouse dies and then it would go down to their children and others. But the bank took the position that my responsibility is equal between the surviving spouse and the remainder beneficiaries. And therefore, the surviving spouse, you've got to make sure that you give me, give us a budget and we will determine whether it's a good budget or not. And the huh. and my client, who was a surviving spouse, I didn't do the trust. That right. She came into me after the fact and she said, I've sent in a budget and they keep coming back and say, no, we don't feel like that's how much you need. And so they would keep a very, very low amount of income flowing through to her every month. But there was no trust protector. There was, and they always had lawyers that were, uh, you know, they lawyered up to protect themselves, saying that we're doing our fiduciary duty both to the surviving spouse and to the remainder beneficiaries. But the surviving spouse was not living the the same lifestyle that she lived while her husband was still alive. Interesting. We'll find out what happened in that case when we return. If you have a question for Brian A. Lowe of Brian A. Lowe & Associates, please give us a call or a text on the Centennial Toyota Talk and text line at 702-257-5396. Now back to Ask the Experts on News Talk 720, KDWN. Welcome back. If you have a question for Brian A. Lowe of Brian A. Lowe & Associates, please give us a call or a text on the Centennial Toyota Talk and Text line at 702-257-5396. Today we're talking about trusts and the need to amend a trust as the uh, passage of time rolls on because things do change. I just heard, oh my gosh, a terrible story where somebody had set up a trust uh, and used a financial institution, a bank, as the trustee, and they did not uh, put a trust protector in place. And uh, the the bank started ruling this the surviving spouse's life. She started. They, what were they doing to her? Well, they would. They required a budget, and most. Most trustees will require some budget Mm -hmm. because they do have some responsibility. But they they felt that their armchairing a budget was what she should be receiving, not what she felt that she needed. Right. And her lifestyle, of course, was was going down over time because – uh, the inflationary trend, the the bankers just wouldn't uh, wouldn't accept this, and so the, she was kept at a very low level of income, and we couldn't do anything about it. And and could you see that this was not the intention of the the deceased spouse? Sure. And and you know so the 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 husband he wanted to set up. He tried to do the right thing. He tried to do the right thing, but he felt that. Uh, uh, 
the bank would probably do the right thing. Mm -hmm. But like they always do, right? Yeah, no, no, yeah. and the banks. I'm kidding. Uh, you know, <laughs> the banks are trying to do their best. It's the trust departments. Sure. They're trying to do their best, but. You know, there have been lots of lawyers that have brought actions against trustees for not uh, treating remaindermen right. And so mm -hmm. there are these lawsuits and, and different cases that have been uh, decided against the banks. And so they're a little squeamish there, too. Sure. And so with the trust protector, we found that, that uh, the result is different when somebody who does not have to go through that process can decide, hey, either trustee, get with it, accept this this budget, right. or we're going to remove you. And right. recently I had a large bank that I had to remove because they, they felt that what they were doing was right and the beneficiaries didn't think that. Right, and, and when you looked at the trust and you looked at the original intention, you thought, that they were correct, right? That is correct. So uh, what's the process? Uh, so, you, you know, you, you've set up a trust, whether it was last year, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. What is the process of, of amending a trust? Well, if it's a, a revocable and amendable trust, you bring it in. And uh, generally what I do is I, if they're a client of mine, I pretty much know what, what they're they are all about, but I update that. Mm -hmm. If they have not been a client of mine, then I try to get acquainted with them, find out exactly what it is that that they want, and then I will take their document and go through it, okay, and spell out exactly what the trust, the, what they have already is. And oftentimes they'll say, "Well, that's exactly the way I want it." I say, "Fine, you don't need an amendment. If there's anything that we can do for you." please come back and, and uh, we'll try to help you. But sometimes they say, hey, look, this is a problem now. Or can you give us some ideas of things that we should be thinking about? And so I start asking them about uh, different things and things that should be considering. And they say, well, this is what we want to do. We want to amend this and this. Can we do it? And I say, yes, we can amend this over here, this uh, article, in such a way that it will take care of this problem. We can change this article and change this problem. Sometimes we look at a trust and we say, you know, this really isn't uh, our trust. It's not something that, uh, that we could really put our stamp of approval on. Right. And so, you know, you really need to consider doing a new trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it would move not, I mean, not a new trust, but restate the whole trust, just right. restate it in its entirety. So we let them know what their alternatives are, but we will not amend a trust that is not really a good trust. Yeah, it's not and in the best interest of the people involved right. or it was put together badly or... Yeah, uh, they got it out of a book or something like this. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, because a trust has to be internally consistent. And oftentimes, I mean, if they've gone to a good attorney, we can generally just amend it. Right. We don't feel like we have to restate every trust, but we'll tell them what needs to be done and what uh, uh, we can do to, to make these changes, amend it, and we'll tell them what it will cost. And then if they want us to do it, we, I ask them, do you want me to do it? 
and then the clock starts. Well, and, you know, as we've talked about many times on the show, this process that you just talked about doesn't cost a thing until you start doing work, correct? That is correct. It's a free consultation. If you want to make an appointment with Brian A. Lowe of Brian A. Lowe & Associates, the number to call is 702-259-0002. And you brought up a very interesting point. Uh, somebody who gets a trust out of a book. Or, um, or or one of these document services uh, that you Correct. can download off the internet or whatever. Because if you do that and the trust is not consistent with the laws of the state of Nevada, then that trust can be contested, correct? Well, yes. Oftentimes people will contest mm -hmm. the trust. And so uh, that's why you want to go to someone who is in, I mean, is really a specialist in the area of trusts and wills and estate planning and estate administration so that it can be put together in such a way that it can work after you die. Right. And, you know, like you say, you don't want problems. You don't want to give somebody a bunch of problems, especially if you're talking about your spouse who's, you know, after you die or your children. Um, and, you know, it, one of the things that we talked about is, you know, if, if somebody comes in and talks to you, then, yes, you can answer their questions, but you can also offer advice, which is outside of their scope of knowledge, uh, which is uh, another valuable benefit to seeing an attorney, is that you've been doing this for many years, and you know things that could happen that they might not even know about. That is correct, and, and you can't get those off of computer uh forms or out of books or, uh, you know, form books, you, you really need to talk to someone who has been in the industry and knows what is actually happening in the administration of trusts. Well, just like the horror story that you just told me a few minutes ago of putting the financial institution as the trustee, which may not be a bad idea in some situations, but you as the attorney could look at that situation and go, well, maybe we should do that, but we need to put that trust protector in place just in case you guys don't see eye to eye. Or in that particular case, if they'd come to me while they were still both alive and it was revocable, I would have put in a provision in the trust that said the first responsibility of the trustee is to take care of the surviving spouse and all remainder beneficiaries are secondary. Exactly. So, I mean, there's a there's a lot involved in 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 planning your estate, and things do change over time. So, if you are out there, you're listening to the show right now, and you do have a trust in place that was written last year, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, give Brian A. Lowe a call at seven zero two two five nine zero 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 two. You can schedule an appointment. It will not cost you a thing to come in and talk. They will look at your trust and they will see if they can help you. Isn't that right, Brian? That's correct. Thank you for being on the show today Thank once you, again. We uh, will be back next week on Ask the Experts with Brian A. Lowe of Brian A. Lowe & Associates. We'll see you then.